Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. I'm Joe Fremming from the Joedown. With me, as always, is Paul Muad'Dib from Cast That Movie. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing well, bud. How are you doing? I am... I spent the afternoon watching our episode today, Part 8 of The Return, and my brain still feels a little like jelly. This is going to be a tricky one to talk about. (laughs) There's a lot going on, even though (laughs) there's a lot of it's like surreal madness. But yeah, so so everybody, we're on Part 8 of The Return. This is the infamous episode where uh, David Lynch's brain just money shots all over over our TVs, in a sense. This is, I I remember, this episode stuck with me. I remember watching this episode um, when it aired and just being absorbed by the whole damn thing. And at the end of it, looking, turning at my wife and going, what the fuck did we just see? <laughs> I said, I don't know what it was, but it was profound as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what to think. I, I, I you know, obviously it takes a, a, a turn for the very strange after like 10, 15 minutes. Um, I had no idea what to think. I was just like, I was just kind of like, my brain was just spinning. Like, what, what, what the fuck was that? You know, like. Uh, It took me a while to think about it before I actually appreciated it. I'm not going to say I I loved every second of it when I first saw it because I just had no idea what was going on. Uh, And the more I've I've seen this episode of part of the return, I've I've rewatched this probably more than any other parts of the return, just because it's so it's like watching a painting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, as a matter of fact, in the A in the Z to A box set that I have, it's a 4K transfer of that episode. Yes, I would love to see that. And but it's yeah, it's it's really uh it's the most surreal thing I think Lynch has done, and that's including Eraserhead and <laughs> his shorts. He this this is David Lynch going heroin into the vein. Like this is just he's mainlining himself in into you on this episode. And, and we'll talk about it at the end, but like him and Frost actually wrote out a blueprint for this. And, like, Frost just kind of let him do his thing. He's like, yep, this is kind of like what we have in mind. But, David, just fucking do what you do. <laughs> and he did. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so let's start. I guess let's just start with the normalish part of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could call it that. <laughs> so, uh, picks up right where uh, last episode ended. Uh, Mr. C and Ray are in their uh, getaway car. Uh, we have Mr. C having a weird-looking program on his cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can He's just tracking devices on the vehicle. He's detecting them right away, and he, he kind of takes care of them. Uh, by popping some gibberish <laughs> into a yep. text. Uh, so he takes care of that. Ray is wondering where Daria is. Last time we saw Daria, Mr. C put a bullet in her face. <laughs> God, I shouldn't be laughing at that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but Mr. Seed lies and says she's waiting on a phone call from them when they get somewhere safe. And he brings up a place, like a safe place to go. And we'll see this later on the farm. The farm. Yep. Yep. We don't know what the farm is right now. We'll see it later on. We'll see it later on. But they do bring it up that this is where Ray's kind of like his getaway uh, safe house is. And in the drive, uh, Mr. C is obviously impatient because he keeps bringing up he has something that Ray has something that he wants. And unfortunately for Mr. C, Ray, what he wants, Ray has in his head. He didn't write it down anywhere. So Ray's insurance from not getting shot in the face like Daria is to be able to string Mr. C along here. And he even calls him Mr. Cooper at one point. Which yes, he does. He does call him Mr. Cooper. I caught that. And that was weird, right? I was like, oh, Mr. Cooper. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's hanging with Mr. Cooper. Hanging with the family. <laughs> hanging out. Hanging out with my family. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have a good time. <laughs> Gonna have a good time. <laughs> oh, birdemic. Oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, we see uh, that fucker Ray is now wanting to extort money from Mr. C for this information. Uh, information is power as we all know, and so uh, this is starting to rub Mr. C the, the wrong way. Uh, even though it's weird, he's like a multi-billionaire, and he just he wants his coordinates for whatever reason. We know, because we've seen it, but we'll just leave it here for now. Yep. Uh, even though I just spoiled it by saying coordinates. <laughs> but I, that's what he wants is... Well, they've already kind of. I think they've already kind of said that he wants. I mean, that, that was brought up early on. He he needs. He's seeking the coordinates. Yeah. So, uh, Mr. C has Ray take a take a a turn through like on a road where there's no lights, uh, and it was crazy. I was watching this, and it was hard to see things in this episode for some I, reason. I had to crank the brightness up on my TV actually. Yeah, I did. I, don't, I might have to turn it back down when I when I when I go turn it back on. Yeah, I don't I don't remember having to do that when I first saw this, but I think uh, I might have had my adjustments on my TV set for like vivid, and that kind of made everything just more black. So it was tough to see. You Not felt, like that Game of Thrones episode where I couldn't see a fucking thing. Well, I, I think you know the difference for me. I remember was when I want when it was on at night, so I wasn't competing with the glare coming in from my windows. Yeah, I, yeah. And I felt like I was like I, I was you know I was watching in my bedroom TV and my blinds aren't the greatest uh, at blocking out the sunlight and um, so yeah I had to completely change around my I had to pause it fuck with my settings to be able to see what the hell was going on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Like last time I watched this was at night, so I didn't have that problem either. So but either way, it was dark. It's it's tough to see, but it's by design. That's what Lynch wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on this dark road, and that fucker Ray needs to take a leak. <laughs> and and Mister C is fucking done with Miss with that fucker yeah, Ray. He's, yeah, he's not happy with the. He grabs that. He grabs his uh, gun from the glove compartment. His his Ray's pissing. Little does he know, Ray also has a gun, and he's double crossed him somehow. Yeah, I don't understand that. Uh, I don't either, unless, uh, well, we know from the final dossier, Ray's working with Project Blue Book. 
So uh, oh, he's an yeah. so they might have put something in there for him. Or he might have got a gun on his way out. On his way out. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. That's very possible. Because he's a paid informant. But uh, he pulls it on Ray. <laughs> he just, even though I, I I think I saw him, like, checking the barrel for bullets, it's just nothing's happening. The gun's yep. just defunct. And then Ray just shoots the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah shoots him twice. And we're like, holy shit. I'm thinking this is the death that they were talking about. He needs to die. Ray's the fucking hero. Then he goes in to make the final shot. And that's when normality completely leaves this, this episode. Well, I don't know about you, but like when the lightning started happening, I felt like Ray was going to get a quickening like in Highlander. <laughs> there could be only one. <laughs> there could be only one Cooper. No, no. Keep in mind, though, that doc, that Highlander was a documentary filmed in real time. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we get lightning, uh, very muted uh, soundtrack, a lot of bass and like static. And we see these woodsmen coming out of nowhere, which is just creepy. Like, this is probably like one of the creepiest episodes of Twin Peaks ever. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, so uh, women, yeah, they come out of nowhere and they just digging into his wounds and then smearing blood all over Mister C as like Ray's just sitting standing there and they're like it's weird because they're transparent too as you can see through them like like they're ghosts. Yeah, yeah, they're super transparent and um like yeah like they're ghosts. There, there's there's several there's about three circling Ray and <clears throat> keeping him back from making the final shot. And they start with kind of patting the dirt, and then Mr. C kind of transposes, and then we see Ray fall to the ground and does that weird-ass David Lynch super slow-mo yell. (laughs) That's always just super creepy. And then (laughs) Mr. C's covered with blood from these guys, right, from the woodsmen. And it's like they're – then we see the orb – come out and in the orb we see bob's face yes uh and not only do we see it ray sees it too yep and that's what causes ray to freak out or run away to the car and he drives off and this this raises the question did leland have an orb in him you think (sighs) (laughs) okay i knew we were going to be getting into a lot of theories in this one and a lot of ideas because there's a lot we got to discuss on what does this mean. You bring up a, a, a good point. I don't know because I wonder because the doppelganger isn't actually a human, right? It's a construct from the from the Black Lodge. So I wonder if there's something different when it interacts with that versus if it was in an actual person. Yeah. Because we never see, like with Leland, Bob would take over leland and bob is not taking over the doppelganger he is the op- the doppelganger right yeah because the doppelganger is a basically a blank slate he's just, yep yeah yeah so i think the rules are different when he's in like a uh in the, the doppelganger um we'll, we'll come up with a different name for it later we've mentioned on the, some of the previous episodes but i think the rules are different in that regards yeah and i mean this is probably just 
due to circumstances and that Frank Silva has been long dead by the time they start filming. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like, there's a lot of concessions that have to be made because poor Frank is dead and he did not want to, you know, uh, David Lynch wanted to honor and did not want to change Bob because of that. No. So it's interesting. So we see, you know, there's a entity inside the doppelganger, which is housing Bob. Mm-hmm. So Bob's like a living thing within him. Uh, and then, yeah, Ray runs off uh, and he calls Philip, which we assume is Jeffries. Uh, we, this is, uh, this goes back to where I, I think this is, they're not really talking to Philip Jeffries. They're talking to uh, Albert. Albert, Albert, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Albert has, he's filled with secrets. <laughs> yes. Yes. And um, yeah, he's like, I killed him, but I don't know if I killed him because he got help. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He may have lived. <laughs> yeah. And he's a bench. I saw something in him. I'll tell you later, which is, you know, alarming. But yeah, so he's out. Mr. C's caked in blood. And we go to the roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> where the nine inch nails, <laughs> the, the nine inch nails, and I love that. Even in the uh, even in the credits, it's quoted the nine inch nails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they do their. Uh, uh, she's gone away, which she's is, gone away. The lyrics which, are very much. Uh, I mean, you can read into it. I think he wrote it for Twin Peaks. They yes. lot. They seem basically about Laura Palmer. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely high school i'll just say in high school me and my buddies and you uh i think were kind of obsessed with nine inch nails oh yeah trent was a long uh he's long he was a huge fan of the original one of twin peaks he worked he's worked with lynch since lost highway uh so Mm -hmm. but this like this whole thing too is it's like this whole episode is dark and unsettling and it and even does it with you know the roadhouse performance in that it's not the end of the show. It's it's put in like after the first act. Well, because that's kind of the end of the episode of what we would know as an episode, right? Kind um, of. <laughs> because weird shit happens there. But yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, again, Jean Michael is that his name? Jean Michael. The, the Renault brother that is running it now? Yeah, I think so. Is a genius. <laughs> the best booking agent. He, he should have been running the roadhouse back in the 80s because, uh, back in the 90s, because, my God. <laughs> <laughs> These acts, you know, the chromatics and. <laughs> yeah, Sharon Montana. Yeah, the, the Nine Inch Nails. Later uh, on, he gets Eddie Vedder. Edward Severson. <laughs> um, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, so. Th- well, unlike his super- brother, his, his obviously his brain isn't a blank as a fart, you know. As blank as a fart. No. <laughs> then all of a sudden the song ends and it cuts to Cooper sitting up and you're going, what the fuck? Yeah, Cooper, he just kind of rises up, and in the back of my head, I just, every time, just because I'm snarky like that, I just hear, like, 
the theme from Terminator 2. <laughs> that's well, we'll be getting into it because that's basically what happens. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, it's jarring too. Again, like, I think what Lynch does is like, we're kind of like used to this groove of the, sh- of the new iteration of the show. And he upends it by, I'm going to put the musical performance in between, in the between this one scene. <laughs> you know, like we're gonna have Cooper get shot, and then he's like, after Nine Inch Nails plays, he's gonna rise from the dead, and then fuck it, we're going to White Sands, New Mexico, on July sixth, nineteen forty-five. Okay, so now we're gonna get to the part that is going to be difficult to explain in words, but we're gonna try it, and we're going to. Um, there's gonna be a lot of theories, I think, thrown out on this. I think this is going to be a lot of hypotheticals and interpretations and just discussion because this is something, this is an episode that you and I have not really sat down and dissected with each other before. No. And this is also, uh, I remember after getting at the end of this episode, I had so many questions, but at least one thing I was happy is I, again, reading secret history and knowing the importance of the Trinity test in that. Mm-hmm. At least gave me something to latch onto with this. Bingo. I did, even though I, you know, yeah, it's just like knowing, like you know, the, the the sex magic of Jack Parsons, which almost seemed like a weird thing. Like, why are they going on and on about this? Well, part eight kind of answers that. Yes. So we cut to the atomic bomb going off, the first atomic bomb of the Trinity test. And it zooms in um, to where um, it's. I think it's the quarks and the atoms and the and the neutrons and those types of things. I think that's what you're seeing. Yeah, you're going into the explosion as it's going on, so it, it's chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how it jumps from black and white into very vivid colors, like almost Argentino colors, like in Suspiria. Yes. It was really cool. Uh, and, you know, you're just kind of like, you know, your experience, this is an experience, and what you're experiencing is the chaos and things being torn apart and the complete and utter destruction man had created. And Lynch is taking you inside every aspect of it. Yes. Right. And it's, and it's, and it's soundtracked with, and I'm going to, butcher this name but christoph penadirekis i uh, butcher that name all the time too yes an entity up to the victims of hiroshima hiroshima uh, it's really is that avant-garde music played along with avant-garde uh visuals and it, yes it seems like what would be it's almost like if pink floyd were like evil and they did a stage show in a sense I, I think this is what we would have gotten uh, out of the Echoes album had Sid Barrett stayed. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're seeing is what was going on in Sid Barrett's mind. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So all this thing, and it's just it's it, there's just so much to it. I mean, the explosions, you're going in, you actually see yourself kind of going up and through and down the explosions and like the different um anatomy of how an atomic bomb operates and where it's 
power is going through where there's the influx of like it creates like a almost like a vacuum inside of it and then then once that's done um it cuts to a place labeled the convenience store <laughs> where we had, where we record this podcast <laughs> correct well up above it yes but before we i just want to like the the actual like uh visual of the bomb going off and it, as it's zooming in uh, Lynch is, you know, he's pretty like with his hokey effects. That looks really good. Very, very good. Like um, I think they spent probably a lot of their budget just on part eight. I think. Mm, uh, uh, yes, yes, they did an amazing job on that part. It is just um, visually stunning. Yeah, and then we and then it just continues, like you said, the convenience store where we're trying to record the damn podcast, but all these fucking woodsmen are wandering around. Yeah, you can hear noise in the background of them fucking around in my in my in my part of the area of the of the convenience store. We have to do it apart because of the way we do the record. Don't ask people; it's just how we do it. <laughs> and we're seeing like smoke and like woodsmen are kind of like jaggedy and like there's this light in the store and what we're seeing here. And I don't think that, I think this is by design because what we talked about in the last episode, where we saw like time jump change with like in the diner of the double R. Yep. We're seeing this with like with the woodsmen because they're appearing and banishing. Yep. That's my theory is that this is timelines like can just blowing up. Like we done fucked up (laughs) with the, the Trinity test. Yes, yes, and when we get done with that, we'll get to a point where <coughs> I want to discuss my theory as to what this is. Um, um, and I, I have a certain point when we get there. I think will be will be the correct time to do it. So yeah, they're coming in and out, and then it cuts to um, the experiment that we saw in episode two. Yep, the experiment. Uh, uh, I think we've it's able to experiment. I think it's pretty safe to say this is uh, Judy. Yeah, this yep. is Judy. Uh, she uh, and look, we all predicted Bob's origin story was he's vomited up by like a demon lady in outer space after the A bomb went off. Like we get it, David. We know <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> we knew that was the logical way to go, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll get into it because like you know Frost talks about like. Uh, give like they, they were super interested in doing like an origin thing which is like if you follow lynch and twin peaks like an origin story doesn't seem like it's in their wheelhouse but like then they, then they did it but they totally did it their fucking way yes yes but yes yeah, so it was the experiment and she vomits up and then we see the orb that we saw in mr c with bob's face yep. up, up in it and she's all white, right? And it comes out, and it's very plasticky, the way she's vomiting up all this stuff. And then we see her, like, with eggs and other things that she's vomiting out. And <clears throat> and then it turns to red and gold, and you get back to the embers, and then you get back to the radiation of the, of the, of the bomb, right? Okay. <clears throat> this is the part where I think I want to get through that, and this is what I wanted to think. So we talk about how time isn't linear right but i think there's a linkage in 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 certain ways and what i what i'm assuming is happening here and this is you this is my 
interpretation of, of, of what's happening um, is I think that the lodges are influenced by human behavior. As, as people do bad, the bad lodges grow. Um, as people do good deeds, the white lodge grows in power in a way. Um, or, you know, there's there's waning in that regards. And while time isn't linear, in their world, it's linear to us. So when those acts happen in our world, while theirs isn't linear, it creates this problem. And I think that the A-bomb, when that went off, that gave Jody, or Judy um, this extreme immense, in that instant, this extreme immense power to do this. Uh, it's a balancing act, I think. That's uh, mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to the fireman, but because uh, he sees that. But uh, we're kind of jumping ahead with that. But yeah, there's with the lodges. There's got to be balance, and mm-hmm. as we saw, when you break the rules, like with Bob uh, and Doppelcoop, uh, things can go awry <laughs> pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's like uh, when good things happen, the White Lodge has the upper hand. When bad things do, the Black Lodge, and they got to figure out a way to balance it out. And that's, that goes into Lynch's fascination with dualism. Exactly. Right, right. Yes. Yes, this is, this is playing right into Lynch's philosophy of dualism. And this falls into um, several religions um, idea of dualism, which is where good deeds will empower the demons. Uh, I mean, excuse me, good deeds will empower um, the the uh, what's it, the Almighty um, side or the heavenly side or the good side or the white side and um, misdeeds. Karma. <clears throat> yeah, <throat> essentially, yes. So then it cuts to uh, this C. The purple um, sea. We've seen this. We've seen the purple sea. We have. We saw that with Cooper when he was on the doodad out in space. Technical term. <laughs> Technical term. Doodad in space. Yep. Uh, we see that this giant uh, rock tower thing, which made me immediately think of Mortal Kombat Two. <laughs> you know, like after you beat a character, you keep going up the road until you fight Shao Kahn. I'm sorry, that's just where my brain goes sometimes. Nope, it <laughs> looks like it. It looks Mortal like it. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> Christopher Lambert! Wait, nope, nope, nope. He wasn't into. <laughs> hey, he was in Highlander too. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Highlander too. <laughs> Oh, that's a bad movie. Anyway, so we get to the top and we see like a like a white, almost looks like an observatory. Yes, is that kind of what you thought? I, exactly, what I thought it's like it's like an observatory or um, a lighthouse of sorts. Yep. Yeah, uh, this is where uh, at least what I think is you know where we see uh, the White Lodge or mm-hmm. something. You know, the equivalent of what the Red Room is for. The opposite side of the entity. Uh, it looks like a 1920s silent movie, and we see Senorita Dido there. Yeah. And, so, what do you think? What do you think about Senorita Dido? Uh she's a she's a lodge entity for the other side of the coin, man. Like, 
We don't see many. I think these are the only two we've ever seen. No, wait. We got the Senior Drool Cup from season, yep. season two. So, Yep, we got, we got Senior Drool Cup. Yes. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, she's, I mean, obviously she's a white entity. What's really interesting is, is the, I mean, she's there, I think, in, in this regards, just to show there's other White Lodge entities for anything. I don't... I don't think there's any significance of anything that she has done in the previous seasons. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 new. Like uh, she's new, just like the the, the woodsmen are new. Mm-hmm. So we're getting just this this world that we knew from you know thirty years ago now almost. Well, the woodsmen aren't exactly new because we saw them in Firewalk with me. It doesn't, but it's not like it's not them. It's not like it doesn't look. It, it's just like and I think that was like a throwaway weird thing. Maybe Lynch threw in that they kind of expanded upon, but we don't know much about Senior Dido. I do, like, but it does look like a black and white nineteen twenties silent movie, down to like the weird jazz music. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, it definitely looks like a like a nineteen twenties um, flapper. Mm-hmm. Yes, flapper um, speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what uh, we start hearing a distorted like bong thing, like a noise. Uh, it, it feels like an alarm. Yep, <laughs> it's what I think it is is an alarm. That the uh, so this is how the White Lodge know there's some fuckery afoot going on with the other side, uh, because uh, it's inside a, a giant bell looking thing. Uh, we see uh, we see stuff like we saw stuff like like we saw this on uh, when Cooper was out on the the metal thing in space or whatever it was doing the same thing making the, like the distorted bong noises. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it again later with regards to Philip Jeffries. Uh, these are yes. just like you know they're kind of you know I think Lynch just likes these. <laughs> like, just likes the general aesthetic of these things, so they, he just pops them in. All the power to them. Yes. Uh, and then we see the fireman who we saw at the very beginning talking to Cooper, uh, p- played by Carl Stuckian, who was also the giant yep. in the original run of Twin Peaks. Uh, now, it I, is important to note, Joe, that in this episode, he is labeled as question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, but later on, he's credited as the fireman. Correct. But yeah, in this, he's qu- credited as question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, uh, yeah, but he's, uh, I don't think it's the same. Uh, like, we, I think we've discussed, uh, there was a, brought up in Secret History, there was a race of giants. Yes. So I think this is, he's not the giant we got to know in the original run of the show. Absolutely no, he is not. He, this is this is not the giant that we knew from the show. No. Yeah. What would you say he's the equivalent of the arm here? Or I, th- I from what I saw, I think he's the equivalent of uh, Philip. Of um, I'm assuming. Um, what's that? Mike. Mike. Yes, he's the. Yep. Yep. I think he's the equivalent of Gerard, and Dido's the equivalent of the arm. Okay. All right. So the fireman walks in, and he's looking, he's, you know, he's hearing this noise. And again, we're hearing this old-timey jazz. And uh, this is when, this place looks a lot like uh, 
I don't know if you thought this. I'm sure you did, but this seems a lot. Also, feels a lot like uh, Henry's apartment building in Eraserhead. It did. I got that. You know, the other vibe I got from it was um, Metropolis. Yes. Yes, yeah. I got a lot of Metropolis vibes from this. Yeah, uh, it's this is this really. Uh, to I clarify guess, the uh, the 1930s version or the 1920s version of Metropolis. Uh, Metropolis. Yeah, uh, it's uh, this is like again this whole. The return feels like it's a it's Lynch's swan song in a sense. Mm-hmm. Just, so we're seeing things that are kind of like aesthetically similar to his past work. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, then uh, the fireman walks, leaves the room. His footsteps are backward, which you know at least it's that's consistent with the black lodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he walks into a giant room where there's another bell-looking thing. Uh, <laughs> this is so hard to describe. It's so hard to describe, but yeah, he walks into another room where there's it's like this. Room. It's a bigger room, too. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger room, and um, where there's this... It's basically uh, a theater. It's based, Yes, yes. It's a small vintage movie theater with a, like, a, like a film projector. And... He's he's standing there and he's watching the images of of the detonation. Now, do you, are you from you're familiar with riff tracks, right? Mm-hmm. Had you we watched the 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 Joel um version uh, called uh, Cinematic Titanic? Yeah, I've seen a few of those. Yeah. Okay, the way they have that kind of set up, the way they watch the movies that way, that's also kind of the vibe I got. Yeah, it's. I don't think that's what Lynch was going for. I doubt David Lynch has heard of Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> I don't know. I bet he has, because I bet he was worried some shit was going to show up there. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine them trying to watch Eraserhead. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, it's, it's like a big theater, movie theater, old vintage theater. It also reminds me of the theater in, uh, well, Holland Drive, too. Absolutely, Yes. Yes, yes, so, yes. So he's kind of like hitting on like all different kind of themes and things. Uh, and he, the fireman's looking at the screen and he sees the explosion. He sees Judy giving birth to Bob and her vomit bubbles. <laughs> I sound like a crazy person, but uh, he's visibly uh, troubled by what he's seeing. Absolutely. So then he starts to levitate himself and opens his mouth. And the opposite of what we saw coming out of Judy's mouth, or the experiment's mouth, was light and tendrils of energy starts coming out of his mouth and his head, forming a galaxy. A golden and galaxy. Uh, we trust me, people. We are not on acid, right? Now. <laughs> no. no, we are not. But yeah, it's it's oh, forming. It sounds like a, a lot. We are. It does sound a lot like we are. Hey, like, man, a golden universe has popped out of his forehead. <laughs> hey, hey, Joe, I can't find my car. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Jerry Horn fever dream. <laughs> so, maybe the, all this is what's going on in Jerry's head while he's in the forest. Um, <laughs> so, he just dreamed up of Twin Peaks. None of it happened. It's just Jerry. <laughs> Jerry fucked up in the forest. So, and then uh, they they start forming and, and stars are and then you know stars are and then um, the universe is projected on the screen and 
Senorita Dido enters. And I want to make it very clear. The only reason why we know she's Senorita Dido is not because there's any dialogue. There is no dialogue during any of this, mind you. Um, we just know it because of the credits. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, you know, I, I like Senorita Dido. Uh, I just, you know, you know, it's just the mystery of Lynch. We're never going to uh, know more about these characters. They're just kind of there. Yep. But she walks in, and she walks into a spotlight near the fireman. Uh, as gold is just popping out of his forehead, <laughs> creating a, a galaxy, a golden galaxy, which uh, spawns a golden orb. Yes, and in that golden orb, we see the face of love. Well, it we kind of start to see it, it goes to Dido. It goes to Lady Dido. Yep. And she looks into it, and she sees the face of Laura Palmer start to appear. Yeah, the classic photo her uh, high school prom photo her high school prom photo yep and she kisses the orb and then sends it on its like puts it into the projector well she she sends it up into what looks like a a brass horn made mm, of gold yes and then that thing kicked into a projector and the projector is showing uh like a 1950s rendition of like planet earth for like it seems like an old high school like projection like this is planet earth <laughs> yes right it, yeah it looks like a 1950s welcome to earth <laughs> yeah, yeah just basically like when we you and i kept probably saw in elementary school just like earth is made out of water <laughs> you live on the earth <laughs> yeah and so it sends it to earth uh and this is basically where, uh, again, this is Lynch's good versus evil dualism. Uh, the man created the A-bomb, which Judy then spawns the evil that men do, which is Bob. Uh, mm -hmm. Albert, you know, it's offhand comment from the, the second season, which I'm glad they embraced and then just went with... <laughs> That concept of a throwaway line, it felt like. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, the White Lodge's answer to that is putting Laura on back onto the planet, too, where uh, it's just, uh, and it's not like a traditional, like, you know, this is not Star Wars. This is no, just, this is not traditional. These are just entities, uh, essences that they're throwing out there. Bob. Bob and Laura, you know, they eventually cross paths. In fact, Laura's born into Bob's house, <laughs> um, yeah. which is interesting when we get into uh, all that because uh, it's uh, it's more when we talk about Bob and uh, Laura being, you know, Leland's daughter, and then Sarah's Ju Judy. There's a lot of weird incestual things. <laughs> Even going more, on uh, yes uh, this, is, this is more of the surreal version of firewalk with me with the incest yeah very much so and so this <clears throat> let's finish this part and then because yeah. we're almost it, done here and then we'll talk about it, it. yeah because it's so cool but yeah let's let's go on so yeah the orb floats down she kisses it sends it to earth it goes into the screen through that gold tube and then it kind of stops there, and then it's going to go to a, a few years later. But Did you see where it stopped on the map? 
I did not see where it stopped on the map. Washington State. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's discuss what this means and how this changes the dynamic of what was the first two seasons. Because we're going to see a lot of retconning here. Right? <laughs> Twin Peaks. 90% retcons. <laughs> Pretty much. So... You know, you're discussing the whole ancestral uh, relationship between Judy and Bob and and Lauren, how they're all really combined, right? Yep. So it's not this traditional good versus evil. Like I, you know, you one could look at it in a terms I think of, well, if Bob corrupted Laura, then that was the end of it. No, that's not really what it, what I think the 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 thing with it was, um, unless you do. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, good. Then we're on agreement there because I wanted to hear your part if you did. Um, what's interesting to me, though, is the time. And I, we're, we're going to jump ahead here. I'm not going to give too much spoilers. But when you think about when this happened and when Laura appeared and how the series, how this season ends... It almost is like they sent Laura through, but didn't do it right, and the timing was off. Yeah, and that kind of goes with uh, Cooper leaving the lodge, too. Didn't do it right, and the timing was off. Exactly. So <clears throat> I think this, you know, when you really look at this episode and you put two and two together, what comes later, and like I said, I don't want to give spoilers. Um, it actually makes more sense in my mind. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, Laura was basically born in the wrong time. Yeah. There's also the other flip way to take this, and this is kind of what I also take it as, too, is that uh, Bob's an influence. You know? Mm -hmm. He influences Leland. And we see in Twin Peaks that Laura has a positive influence on people. Mm -hmm. Bob a negative one. And I think that was another rationale why, uh, if they're going to be played, like the Black Lodge are going to be playing this, we're at least going to, because Alora is the beacon of hope in Twin Peaks, even though she's a, a flawed character. She's human. We're mm -hmm. all flawed. We're not, nobody's perfect. But when we meet Laura, it's this, this idolized character who brought hope to this small town. And Bob is the influence who brings terror and awfulness to this small town. So I think there's a level of that there too. Yeah, I do like that theory as well, where, you know, where, where the evil influence, where the Black Lodge influences, there's a, there, there's a White Lodge influence. Yeah. Um, it's the balancing of the scales, like with this. So Yeah, so like, there's many ways to take this, and I agree with yours, and I also think mine works too. Yes. Uh, we, we just don't know what's right, and I think they both could be. <laughs> they both could be. Now, here's something else I want to bring up before we get to to the next part of it, which is also somewhat surreal. Um, but at least we get some dialogue. Um, <laughs> so, this is the water. And this is the well. Oh, God damn it. So, um, the, the other side of it is, it's really interesting that... So, do you think that the experiment or Judy is kind of like... She's giving birth, essentially, to Black Lodge entities. Now, you and I have always talked about how we feel that she's outside the Black Lodge, right? Um, and, you know, obviously, in this in this regards, the firemen, although be very powerful, may not be 
the experiment of the White Lodge, right? No, I have a theory on the, the woodsman. Okay, all right. Um, so let's let's hear your theory on the woodsman. Uh, they're basically <clears throat> as we because the convenience store. Uh, we go back to Firewalk with me. Philip Jeffries is talking about how he went to one of their meetings. Mm-hmm. So this tells me like there's Black Lodge, White Lodge, and there's other elements, other things that are similar to these lodges. But so with the the fi- the the woodsmen, I think are uh, a, part, a different thing. Uh, they're the convenience store. So you have the Black Lodge, White Lodge convenience store. Michelle Front has her thing where she's kind of like in the between the real world and these worlds. So I think it's kind of like divvied up by that. And the when Bob was born, so were his acolytes, if you will. His acolytes mm-hmm. are the woodsmen. They're not bound to the Black Lodge. They don't care if they're breaking the rules because obviously they're with the guy who's breaking the rules of the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. Well, it also makes sense that Bob would be the outlier in the Black Lodge, right? I mean, if he's coming from, if he's born from something outside the Black Lodge, yeah. yet find himself into the Black Lodge, he's kind of always been, you know, in the, in this regards, um, you know, it's interesting that the arm worked with him because for his own gains, but realized that this guy's not operating within the the confines of the rules of, of what we've set up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bob's, Bob's an outlier. Like you said, he's <clears throat> chaos and mm-hmm. you can't contain chaos where Mike, when he was killing, I think there were steadfast rules. The arm can't, he doesn't break the rules, even though he, he might've broken the rule when he appeared as the bubblegum tree with Ike the spike. <laughs> I think there is but I think uh, at this point the Black Lodge is in absolute chaos and they need to rein things in. So yes, yeah. So essentially, I think that's key as well because I think a lot of things operated that. Then, if you look at if, again, re having read Secret History, things get really fucked up after the detonation of the bomb, right? Like that's when all this activity starts really starting to manifest itself and things aren't behaving in the, in the realm of the rules that they need to be. And I think that needs to be done is that you have to eliminate Bob to get the chaos to end and get the rules back in the play. And I think that also plays into what we see later with Judy, which I'm not going to get it away. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and you can <clears throat> you see it like when Bob in Firewalk with me when he's out causing chaos, he still has to pay. Uh, he has to, still has to pay Mike in the arm. They need their Garmon Bosia from him. There is a he has to pay a cost for what he's doing, and that's you know the pain and sorrow of which he has to give them. Mm-hmm. So there are rules. Bob Bob is is breaking them. And I also like the point, like, I think the A-bomb was the seed into which Judy birthed Bob. Like, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's, you know, it's obviously it's a sexual thing with Judy and she pro she procreated with the evil that men do. And Bob was the spawn of that. Essentially. So now we cut to August 5th. Or was it August 6th? I think it's August, August 5th, 5th, 1956. In New Mexico. Now, I want to say I scoured before this episode, scoured, scoured, scoured something relevant to that date. I couldn't find anything, okay, except um, a Reddit thread. And they brought up something really interesting, 
was that they there's several shots this during this date where they're showing the moon. However, that date uh, it was a new moon. There was you wouldn't have seen the moon. So it brought up the idea of is this an alternate timeline? Is this showing when things started to get fucked up? It, you know, what's your do you have anything as far as significance for that date? I think we're digging too deep if we're going by moon cycles. Um, That's think, my thought. That's my I think thought. It's aesthetic for Lynch. Uh, he's really big into numbers and specific dates. I could probably, if I wanted to, I could probably look into the, the Room to Dream, see if August fifth, nineteen fifty six, has any significance uh, in his in that book. I mean, you find a lot of things that he uses in Twin Peaks. Uh, he had a girlfriend whose last name was Briggs. Uh, mm-hmm. One of his art artists that got him uh, into the art life. His name was Bushnell. Um, it's just he he uses things from his actual life sometimes uh, in his uh, his art. So I think it's it's probably something like that. I that's that's my thought, right? I'm when I'm like I said, when you're getting in the moon cycles, <laughs> you're tr- you're trying too hard. I guarantee you, Lynch did not look at that date. Frost did not look at that date. To figure out when there was a new moon versus a full moon and fuck around with that. I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I'm guessing August 5th, 1956 might have been like the first time Lynch kissed a girl. Something like that. Something <laughs> like that, like his first date or uh, something significant of that nature. Right. Yep. Yeah, yep. so I think it's something like that. I think it's like a, a date that's personal to him, and he just wanted to use it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I I like digging deep, but when we're getting to moon cycles, I think we're going down rabbit holes that are just... Too eh, far. It, well, it just it doesn't do any good. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. But on August 5th, 1956, when Lynch probably had his first kiss, he probably associated that with a weird-ass egg that hatches a toad fly. <laughs> <laughs> crawl through the desert. Crawl through the desert. Probably because that's how his stomach. That's what he felt like was in his stomach when he pissed when he when he kissed that girl. Yeah, or you know, it just that's how he feels when he gets a boner. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like, like there's a cucumber toe frog. better pickled. <laughs> I feel like there's a toe frog in my belly every time we kiss. <laughs> David, quit talking. <laughs> Get back to the interview, David. Um, so it starts to crawl through a, a desert, and we see a boy and a girl, and they are distinctly labeled boy and girl. We know who the girl is. We know who the girl is because of the secret dossier. Yep. Final yes. dossier. Excuse me, excuse me. The final dossier is, tells you who the girl is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's this, say, this is a young Sarah Palmer. Yes, it is. Uh, this is pretty much the last night of her, her innocence, mm-hmm. in a way. Uh She's on a date with some young boy. Uh, she finds a penny. She's really excited. Uh, faced up, too. You know, that's usually good luck. Uh, not for Sarah Palmer. On not, this not, not for Sarah Palmer. Sarah Palmer is a life of tragedy. And then it cuts away, and, like, Mary Poppins floating to Earth. We see woodsmen floating to the planet Earth. <laughs> floating to the desert. The anti-Mary Poppins. The setting of the street. And this is like where it's like Lynch goes on like four full on horror movie, and I love yeah. it. I really want him to make a straight up horror movie. You oh, know, what? so genius, right? I mean, it's fucking creepy. Like, wow, yeah, they just float down from the sky. 
we see some people driving around and a woodsman comes walking up and his voice is very distorted and it's uh, he goes got a light got a light yeah. got a light got a light over and over and everything it's it's kind of hypnotizing people in a sense, but then they just drive off because this is just creepy. It's a bunch of dirty bearded men <laughs> on the road. Yes, and everything kind of slows down for them. And you know, we talk about that how when you get affected by 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 entities, by lodge entities, or by these supernatural entities, um, shit gets fucked up for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is just this. The people are obviously horrified, uh, and I like it. Uh, final dossier they bring up that these people gave wit eyewitness statements that they saw strange woodsmen. But I mean, I would. I mean, that's fucking freaky as shit, right? Maybe they should have thrown some loose change at him or something. Get away! <laughs> Get away! Get away! This so, yeah, they, he, the woodsman needs about tree fitty. <laughs> I need about tree fitty. Um, you're gonna keep coming back. You're that woodsman can keep coming back. Um, God damn so. you, Loch Ness monster! Leave my family alone. <laughs> We've made so many fucking references to other things this episode. Holy shit! Uh, what's the showdown? <laughs> <laughs> this is very much like a showdown episode of 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 uh, of Twin Peaks. I yeah. So so then it cuts back to the young girl, the and the boy, and they share a brief kiss. And she goes home. She's happy. He walks off. Cut back to the woodsman stalking a fucking radio station like a goddamn slasher movie um he asks the receptionist for a light and then crushes her skull and i mean the visuals of this everything's shaky blood's flowing what the fuck joe yeah it's creepy what do you think he would have not killed her if she gave him a light <laughs> you know that's i mean he didn't really give her a chance but <laughs> i mean that's a great question I mean, what is it with him asking about want, wanting the light? What do you think the significance of that question is? Well, I mean, a cigarette isn't lit, so I'm, gu I'm guessing he wants to smoke it. That's that's my thought. I mean, <laughs> Lynch loves smoking. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what the significance is. I, we know Lynch loves smoking, so I think it's that's another aesthetic thing. He just wanted to, this entity just wants to smoke. And, and I think it comes back to maybe um, that Twilight Zone episode where is it safe? It's just saying something to say something to make it creepy. Yeah, and uh, you know he has the worst Nick fit I've ever seen because he crushes that poor woman's skull. <laughs> so bad, so bad. Uh, and we might have, we should also add as this horror is going on, my prayer by the platters are playing. <laughs> yes, yes, my prayer by the platters is playing. Ah. Uh. And uh, he, he goes into the DJ booth where he grabs the guy's skull, cuts the record, and he goes on the radio, and he repeats this poem. Mm -hmm. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. And he repeats this. Mm -hmm. Repeats it. And it becomes, he hypnotizes and I like what they uh, do here with like small town America, especially like 
in like Lynch's mind, like his weirdness all like everybody's listening to like one radio station. Yes. That's kind of how it was, especially in a remote area where the obvious is. And you just kind of see these people in like a diner and you see a guy who's working on his truck and you see young Sarah Palmer. They're all like listening to the same thing. Uh, and, but the, it just, he keeps repeating it. And then they all kind of fall into like a hypnotic state where they just kind of pass out. Yes. Yes. Um, and they do, including, it cuts back to the girl as well. She passes out. What do you think the poem means, or what do you, what is your interpretation of this poem? Uh, it could be, a, like, what Twin Peaks is. Uh, mm-hmm. we, you know, consume it overtake it uh the innocence in the dark i mean there's duality in the fucking poem (laughs) there (laughs) is so that's kind of how i take it i wonder if it feels somewhat like the fire walk with me poem in in a way and i wonder if if it's their the woodsman's version of the fire walk with me poem it could be. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's it's very interesting. Uh, I just don't know. And it has like even in the the poem, there's an Easter egg of the horse. Like every time we see the horse, is danger in the show. Well, yes, but also it cuts back to um, um, Margaret talking about the pale horse as well, right? Yes. And you know, pale horse being death. So I do think that this is like a version there within um, because you look at it. Um, okay. So one, cause one of the theories is if you go, this is the water, this is the water and this is the well drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. If you reverse it, it if you reverse the, the, so through the dark of future past, the magician longs to see one chance breaks out between two worlds. Fire walk with me. If you go me walk with fire, worlds two between out chance, one sees too long. Magician, the past futures of dark the through, right? Yes, it doesn't make sense when you put it in that regards, but if you actually break the, the poems around backwards, they parallel each other. It's fucking weird. Yeah, I guess I I never thought of that. Uh, It could also just be something they wrote. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It could be something they wrote. But I do think knowing Frost, he wanted to make it something like the the Fire Walk With Me poem. Yeah, and, you know, I think it also plays in with, like, just life. And, you know, that's what life is, like, light and dark and, you know, the Mm -hmm. doomless. So, yeah, I think the poem has many levels. Yes. Yes, there is many meaning to the poems. Okay, sorry for that tangent. No, Go- no. I love <laughs> tangents. <laughs> so then we get to, through this whole time, he's got the, as he's reading this poem over and over, he's got the disc jockey by the fucking skull, man. <laughs> the disc jockey, I, like when I first saw this, I thought it might have been Joe Latourio from the state. and. <laughs> Right? <laughs> it's not, but he looks a lot like him. It would have been amazing if it was. No, it's an actor by the name of um, Colin Douglas, but um, 
this whole time. I mean, you and you hear the crushing sound the whole time. He's making just like, and then he just, <laughs> he finishes the poem and just fucking wrecks this guy. Wrecks this dude, right? And then he leaves, walks in the desert, and then you can hear the horse being heard. So that leads me more to like the death, like like the yeah. you know, the, the horseman style of death. Yep. Yeah, and, and before he walks in the darkness, we see mm. the, the bug, the toad fly, crawl into Sarah Palmer's room, and just very just unsettling. Just she opens her mouth and it just crawls in. It crawls in, and that is the end of Laura Palmer or Sarah Palmer, innocence in the world. Yeah, uh, another tragic. Twin Peaks really needed another tragic figure. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. And uh, there was no dedication on this episode. There was no dedication on this episode. Holy fuck. We went through a lot. Um, a- talk to me about what you know about the writing, the background, those type of things. Because I want to hear what you know about that. All right. So, uh, like I know with the writing, I, I thought maybe Lynch went off and did this on his own. But no, I... I Frost and him came up with a blueprint, uh, and he knew that. He, so he says, uh, "I knew Dave, what David was going to take as a blueprint for something extraordinary." He ran with it, elevated it to a whole other level. The atomic explosion was probably half a page as written, but I knew that in David's hands, it could run as long as ten to twelve minutes, and it would be riveting. It was certainly a narrative departure from what we had done before. There was no question about that. But it needed to stand apart, and it needed to blow your mind. So mission accomplished. Yes. And, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, can you imagine these two, like, because they wrote this, like, via Skype mm-hmm. <laughs> sessions, like, just the conversation, like, yeah, and then there's this bug thing. <laughs> Bob just becomes an orb and vomited up like a devil lady. Like, cheer. Woo. But yeah, and then I just remember when it, before this aired that Sunday, like, I think it was Dwayne Dunham was like, he he he, he kind of said on Twitter or something like, the tonight's episode's going to be uh, fucking, it's going to blow your mind. And everybody's like, oh, Cooper's coming back. And it's like, nope. 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 <laughs> up to this point, we're all like, Fucking Dougie turned into Cooper already. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, uh, you know, know from Room to Dream, um, Lynch called the insectoid a frog moth and came up with the idea from his uh, travel in Europe with Jack Fisk. Uh, He said the frog moth came from Yugoslavia, where Jack and I were in Europe. We caught the Oriental Express in uh, in Athens, Takes back to Paris, so we were going up through Yokosabi, and it's really, really dark. And at a certain point in the train, we stopped, and there was no station, but we could see people getting off the train. And when I got off the train, I stopped. I stepped into the soft dust that was like eight inches deep, and it was blowing. And out of the earth, these huge, giant moth-like frogs were leaping out. So that was the frog moth, and it just sort of showed up in the world of Twin Peaks. Yeah, he just he comes up with these ideas and he just kind of stores them away. Like, and Log Lady was a character he had an idea for for Eraserhead. He just he he doesn't squander a good idea, Paul. <laughs> no, 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 nope, nope, nope. 
Um, he does not. <laughs> so let's talk about the reception of this episode. Can we talk about the reception of it? What do you think this got on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I'd imagine it was pretty good. Well, 100% rating, I guess. It did. It got a 100% rating with an average score of 8.67 out of 10. The consent, the critical consensus was, quote, Part 8 adds yet another masterful chapter of the Twin Peaks Return, and arguably one of the finest hours of creator David Lynch's incredible career. Um, Shannon, uh, excuse me, Liz Shannon Miller for the Indie Wire, however, gave the episode a B, expressing disappointment for the disturbingly retro special effects in the opening scene and called the Trinity nuclear test sequence beautiful nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And said that one that challenge, this is an episode that challenges viewers to appreciate this beauty. And we don't understand it wherever you land on it. One thing cannot be argued. You've never seen this before on television. And yeah. you have not. I was, I, I think my first thought is like, I can't believe David Lynch had the balls to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. I do believe that there's people, uh, aspiring film people that are going to use that episode. And we're going to start seeing things like that probably in the next 10, 15 years. Oh, yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, it, they Frost and Lynch, uh, they pushed, you know, like they changed the game. Can, you know, they did it with the first show. And I think with the return, it, <clears throat> return was polarizing in that people did not get what they wanted or expected. But mm-hmm. it changed things, man. I was like, wow, you can make like an 18 hour long movie and call it a show or whatever. It was. Yeah. And especially at part eight here, it's. Just the balls, man. Just that those fucking iron balls of his. He's like, yep, yeah, <laughs> this is going to be an episode. Here you go. Right. Now, it's, it's important to note that um, I don't think it won any of these, but it was nominated for the Creative Arts Emmy Awards, the 70th, for uh, an limited series, outstanding cinematography, outstanding single camera picture editing, outstanding sound editing, and outstanding sound mixing. Like this, and it did win, um, or excuse me, it was nominated for a Golden Reel Award for sound editing. Um, it was nominated for outstanding achievement from the cinema audio, audio and sound mixing. Um, the uh, the Art Directors Guild nominated it for one hour contemporary single camera series. This blew people away. Yeah, and it confused a lot of people, too. <laughs> you, 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 I, you go to the Reddit, the rabbit hole, the crazy rabbit holes that people went down, go down on this episode is insane, dude. It's insane. Oh, I'd imagine. Uh, I'd imagine. Because it's just, it, again, it, it's, it's like a painting. You can draw pretty much whatever you want out of, especially with the first explosion and going in and all that. And just, it's beautiful and it's weird. And I can't believe it was on fucking TV. (laughs) Correct. I mean, this is something that you see in an art house film. This is not something you see in a limited series show. Honestly, I've never seen an art house film like this either. And I've seen a lot of 
<laughs> this was just okay. Like, well, okay, like, fine. Like a student art film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was like he's like I'm gonna like uh, I'm gonna kind of like pay tribute to Eraserhead and go along those lines, but I'm gonna make it even make it have like no plot or whatever. <laughs> like just I'm just gonna just go all out. Like it's fucking amazing. It really is an amazing episode in and of itself. And again, there's so much you could talk about what the meanings of the things are. And like I said, you go on the Reddit for this particular episode, the the theories, the fan theories, the discussions it brought about, the discussions it brought about even from critics and people that watched it. This was this is one of those things that has to be experienced, I believe. I mean, you just need to experience this episode. I mean, even if you only watched the 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 to get to this episode, I think you'll want to see what happens. I mean, you're going to get to the point where you're going to want to see what happens afterwards anyway, so you're going, where the fuck is this going to go? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this is something that I think needs to be uh, uh, seen. Uh, you know, uh, Matt um, Zoller sets of The Vulture uh, said it best where he said, Part 8 is the best television episode of 2017, and it's the single most impressive episode of television drama I've seen in 20 years. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's just, it's pure artistic expression, and you don't see this. No. Um, I, don't, I haven't seen it since, you know, like a show doing something this just gutsy. I mean, yeah. it, that's a risk. I mean, it was a risk bringing a show back. That you know, a lot of people through nostalgia and Netflix and all that, and then like completely not deliver the elements that people were expecting, and then you throw this in there. It's like, wow, yeah, it's just like there is no pandering in the return. No, 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 there is no pandering, and I think at the time it was incredibly frustrating. But the genius of it is again, when you during the rewatch, you get it. It clicks like you're like, holy shit, this is brilliant. Even an episode like this, you go, this can make sense to me. Like, I see why this is in there. But you're right. As far as it being a pure artistic expression in, in, in television, you don't see something this intelligent. No. Ever. No. This is, yeah. I, I, again, I'm, I'm surprised, you know. I'm Kudos to Showtime for Latin. You know, I could see other uh, networks being like, there's no way in hell you guys are doing this. Like, you know, there's no dialogue just outside the first 15 minutes. <laughs> For as amazing as HBO has been with this programming, I think HBO would have had a huge problem with this episode. Oh, I'd imagine they would. I think they would have had a huge problem with the series as a whole. I think that's why he went to Showtime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's... I mean, I just... it's. It's an experience. It's uh, and I I like it a lot more uh, on rewatch. Because like when I first watched it, I was just like utterly baffled, mm-hmm. <laughs> frustrated. Mm-hmm. We all were because we we're like, what's happening? And but on rewatch, and then like with the supplemental material with Secret History and Final Dossier, uh, I, it's just it's it's so much more enjoyable. It's so much more rich to watch. Mm, yeah, and I will say that Secret Dossier really, really uh, was necessary. It's a necessary <laughs> read. Yeah, yeah, both the Frost books are necessary to get, get especially Secret History uh, with the White Sands and all that. 
Jack Parsons and the ring and all that. It, it was essential uh, mm-hmm. to get understand what's going on in part eight. Yep. Absolutely. So absolutely. I'd be really confused. <laughs> like, wait, Sands, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah, I it would have been like, why are we talking about the nuclear tests here? But again, they bridge that gap and bring it up and spend a lot of time in it in secret history. So when it comes up, you're like, ah, that's why they were talking about it so much. Fuck, Joe. Anything else you want to discuss about this uh, about this uh, epic, amazing uh, something we'll never see on TV for many years again? I think we covered it, man. Like, I mean, it's just. It's hard to put into words because it's it's there's just it's just so much going on and it with very little exposition, almost no exposition. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I think this is a good time. We've already hinted. I mean, we've already talked about it, so we're not going to ruin anything. So we know we feel that Judy is in. Uh, up to this point, we have talked about that Judy is is in. Laura Palmer, as in Sarah Palmer, excuse me. So when that egg hatched, that egg was birthed from the experiment. So is the experiment separate from Judy? What What's your take on how that all fits together? Uh, I mean, there's a chance they're separate entities. I don't think so, because I think the reason Mr. C is looking for Judy is that's what he was spawned from. And he, he found out in the last 25 years that, uh, I mean, it's just like Judy was laying dormant. And my my theory is laying dormant in Sarah Palmer until mm-hmm. until uh, until the events of this. I think there's parts where she came out, but I think uh, my guess is that's because Bob's re- going back. It's like, you know, it's the fucked up version of the uh, of returning to your, your mom sort of thing. Sure. That's why, that's why he's... Because that's what created him. That's mm-hmm. why he wants Judy. Mm-hmm. I, I question it myself. I, I'm, I'm not completely convinced that it's the same entity. Um, I think that I'm on that wavelength where... The reason why he's looking for Judy is because I think through Judy he could get to the experiment. That's my thought. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like Judy, the way they describe her, is like kind of like pure evil. And like Mm -hmm. the the whole thing, it just. uh, Why would. If something's pure evil, why would they need a a boss above it (laughs) sort of situation, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't know. Uh, it's the way it's set up is ambiguous by design. So yes, it, so it, it, it's good to, for conversation and theorizing. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, the only two people know, and they're not telling, and they're not going to say a word about it. No. Holy fuck! All right, yeah, I think we described this album, uh, the, this this uh, this episode way better than I think we we, we were yeah. concerned about it. So uh, should we start describing a eraser head and like maybe we'll watch Mandy and describe that too? <laughs> oh god damn it. Oh crazy. We might have to go on like a David Lynch bin. Like we could do an entire podcast about Inland Empire, the the the, the long version. <laughs> I 
think it would kill us, man. <laughs> I I would I you know what's what's fat. I was laying on my side when I was watching this episode, and my left hand started, my left arm started to go numb, and I'm like, uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, shit, I'm getting duggied. (laughs) Oh. Uh, So, what do you, what do we, yeah, let's, uh, what else we got going on in the the other things going on now that we're through this and getting back to reality and out of our acid trip? What's going on at the Joe Down? Oh, okay. <clears throat> so this week uh, we released uh, our review of A View to a Kill, uh, the most boring James Bond movie I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I, I, my, my feelings is it can't be because it doesn't have Timothy Dalton. Yeah, The Living Daylights was more entertaining then. Than <laughs> uh, we reviewed that too so when we did Bond Month like a few years ago. Uh, in fact, we did all... We did Bond movies, and we did somehow miss Roger Moore. We did all the others. Even uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service with Blaze and me, we reviewed. Oh, Christ. So, yeah, but after this, now we're heading into Halloween month. Because uh, uh, I love horror movies, and Joe Brown hates them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm interested because my – so here's our picks. First up is Mandy. Second is uh, uh, the Gus Van Zandt shot-for-shot remake of Psycho. Ah, damn it. Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. What was Brown's last pick? I forgot all of a sudden. Let's see what he picked. I I think... Oh, Carrie, because we had to get some John Travolta. (laughs) All right. Oh, man. That's going to be... I feel for you. Why? Uh, the, 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 the Psycho Shot for Shot remake was so bad. Oh, it's terrible. It was I'm interested to, have you seen Mandy? I have seen parts. I haven't sat through the whole damn thing. But you got to sit through that. I'm interested to see what, how Drill Brown reacts. It's one of the most fucked up movies. It's fucked up. It's fucked up yeah it's, that's why i said it's it. very surreal it's very mm-hmm. feels like an acid trip mm-hmm. i just i'm interested in his take because i i somebody told me to watch it and i got shutter because i love horror movies yep pop it on because i think oh nicholas cage is gonna be fucking crazy i love it whatever and it's so it's such a slow burn it's a slow burn until like this madness and it's just like it's it's one of those weird experiences that i i I can't describe, uh, but I'm also excited just because John Carpenter's Halloween. We need a good old slasher flick in that. <laughs> Did I see this? Did I see Mandy? I watched the whole thing on that. It's something you wouldn't forget. <laughs> That'd be like saying, "Did I watch Part Eight of The Return?" <laughs> <laughs> I really don't recall. <laughs> like it's one of those things you know if you saw it. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I try to, because he did another movie similar to this. Yes. Um, yeah, the filmmaker did uh, a movie a few years before. It was very similar. Yes. Okay. So I must have saw that and not Mandy. Okay. Okay. Well, if you, if you have Shudder, I suggest it just, I know you're not a huge Nicolas Cage fan, but it's one of those, uh, it's an experience. 
Is it like this? Is it like society? Is it an experience? Like, have you seen society? It's it's an experience. That's I, I can't explain it, man. I okay. just it's like well, you know, there's movies that you experience. It's like it's like you experience pink flamingos. You experience <laughs> a race pad, you know like, anything with Chocolates you experience, dude. There's no describing how you feel. You feel just exhausted after it. But yeah, so well, you have Shutter, and I I recommend. I believe it's on Shutter. There's a movie called Society, and I strongly advise you watch it. All right, I'll watch it. Yep, that's one of those movies that you also experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. But that's what I got. What do you guys have going on for cast that movie? So, uh, uh, the latest episode we just did was Maximum Overdrive. Fantastic movie. <laughs> I love that movie. Which uh, put Joe into a sour mood the whole episode. Um, and then we Sour did mood. it's Emilio Estevez and ACDC and the coked up Stephen King who didn't really remember making the movie and the Green Goblin uh, <laughs> and um, then we did um, our dream project um, was Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 which I think needs to be done ASAP <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I really point out in that one, and I'll say it here too, that, you know, if you are ever interested in political journalism or just how uh, anything is done in that regards, um, there are so many political journalists that consider that book, their Bible. Yeah. Um, uh, prolific. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's 90% bullshit, but like, a lot of it, but it's the most honest. I think that's what George McGovern said. It's 90% bullshit, but it's the most honest book I've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, Hunter, and I bring this up, I was explaining this to Joe. Um, you guys want to hear this in the episode as well. If you're listening to this, you really want to listen to that one because um, it's fascinating. But I was explaining it to him was he's making a cartoon of all these things, but at the same time, he's being super honest about all this is going on and it was killing him as a person. Because he was trying to really find honesty and truth and the American justice in politics, and there was none to be found. Yep. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a short snippet of that one. And then our next one for cast that movie will be um, Waterworld uh, and steroids in baseball. Woo! Oh, Dennis Hopper, Kevin Costner. Costner drinking his own pee. What could go wrong, man? Costner with uh, prosthetic gills. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember right, I think you only see it like once. And that's You'll it. see it like once. To get, to get, again, I'll give you guys a little tidbit here. This is a movie that didn't recoup itself until streaming services came out. <laughs> it took to streaming for them to make back the money. Yeah. Wasn't that his first movie after uh, Dances with Wolves too? Like after he won all these Academy Awards? No, I don't think so. I think he did something else in between. Probably a baseball I, movie. I, I think it was a baseball movie. Let me. I can double check. Uh, one second here, because that's a great question. Uh, let me just pull up his IMDb quick. And because uh, I, I, if it is, that's a shit show. Because then followed by that, he did Postman. Which was awful. Hey, um, <laughs> Tom Petty was in that. 
God Forget bless Tom Petty, rock legend, and the postman. God bless his soul. But Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Because after Dances with Wolves, it was, he did, no, he had a string of hits. It was Robin Hood. It was JFK. It was The Bodyguard. Then he did, and he was Wyatt Earp. Then he did The War. Then Waterworld. Then Tin Cup. Then the postman. <laughs> it was his follow up as a director. Yes, it was his follow up as well. Technically, and I'll get into that in the episode. Uh, technically, it was his follow up as a director. Uh, there was a lot of turmoil on the set, and I will be going in depth into that. <laughs> well, Dennis Hopper, he's a he's a you know a calm, rational human being. <laughs> you know, you we both did Super Mario Brothers. Um, and <laughs> Dennis Hopper was not happy with that fucking experience. <laughs> well, if you want to look up uh, his experience uh, making uh, Human Highway, Neil Young's movie, uh, I believe he actually stabbed a woman on that set. <laughs> he was just a hot, hot mess. <laughs> he, um, oh God, was it on the set of, um, yeah, it was on the set of apocalypse now he would do a carny trick where he would take a bunch of dynamite and make a circle and stand in the center and light it all off um and the idea is is that if, if you're in the center of that it creates a vortex so you don't get hurt but this was a trick that he would do on set when he would get bored he would light dynamite around himself and set it off <laughs> doing awesome. goddamn carny tricks Let's also remember his first movie after sobering up was Blue Velvet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love it in that movie. That is probably my favorite Dennis Hopper role. Oh, yeah. He, I like Dennis Hopper. He's a good actor. He's just fucking nuts. But it's fucking nuts. So, um, yeah, that's what we got going on. Then um, Bears Beats Bobbleheads we're both in. Uh, which episode are we doing next? I, I can't remember. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Is the, just, uh, is it The Client? No, we, I think The Client came out last week. I think it's Performance Review. Performance Review. Performance Review. Okay. All right. Yes. I think Michael right. and his coffee breath. <laughs> oh, Michael and his coffee breath. Oh, Lord. All right. <laughs> All right, we could go on for hours on this and keep going. All right, Joe, take us out. What do you got? This is the water. <laughs> this is the well. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I'm exhausted, everybody. <laughs> you know what? This one, I'm with him on this one. Just fucking nuclear bombs. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>